This episode of the Boss Builder Podcast is brought to you by Boss Builder Academy. If you are a newly promoted supervisor, somebody who's in the role and struggling, or even somebody who's thinking about one day making the transition to management, it is an overwhelming and stressful job. To help you out, please check out our Boss Builder Academy. Our Boss Builder Academy gives you the knowledge and skills you need to be a successful boss through a series of videos and guided discussions. It's something that you can do in as little as five minutes per day, and it will give you practical, tangible, tactical skills so you can be a great boss. For more information, check us out at www.thebossbuilders.com or call us at 931-221-2988. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, the podcast for those of you who are new to supervision, those of you in the role and struggling, and even those of you who are thinking about one day getting out there to be the boss. One of the things you will face on a regular basis if you're the boss is conflict. Conflict can absolutely wipe you out, but it can actually build you and your organization up. Our guest today is Natalie Garamone, and she's going to talk to us about how to have a healthy conflict, how to have productive conflict, and how you as the boss can create the culture where conflict becomes something that when it does happen, does not destroy, but actually builds. Practical tips actionable tips. Take some good notes on this one because I can promise you if you're the boss, conflict will be one of those things you deal with all the time. So with no further delay, let's meet our special guest, Natalie Garamone. Natalie Garamone, welcome to the show. Hey, Mac. How are you? I'm really good. I'm glad that we could finally get some time to chat. The topic today is one that I'm sure all of our listeners are dealing with at some point, which, of course, is conflict. And you have a lot of expertise in this, and I've got a lot of good questions for you today. So before I put you on the hot seat with the questions, why don't you share some of your background with us? Sure. Yeah, I love that. Yes, um, conflict is a, a hot topic, and I'm, I'm happy to share how I how I got into this. But yes, um, so uh, some of my background, I uh, hail from New York originally. I'm currently living in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I've been living in Richmond for about, wow, almost 11 years now. Um, the work I do is is global. Uh, I travel with my clients. I go where they need me to go. Um, but I do uh, find my home in Richmond, Virginia currently. Um, I studied in college, I studied business administration marketing with um, minor in legal studies. I was absolutely sure that I wanted to be a corporate attorney. I went so far as to take the LSAT uh, when I when I moved down to Richmond. And had a change of heart, uh, interviewed several attorneys, and uh, I have to say it changed my perspective on whether or not I wanted to do that as my career. Um, I think a little part of me has a, you know, still wants to be an attorney at some point, but we'll we'll save that for, <laughs> for years from now. I really love the work I'm doing right now. But, um, but ended up finding my way into organizational development consulting started working at a small HR 
executive compensation benefits and training shop here in Richmond, and then found my way to another consulting practice in Richmond that really worked at, I'll call it the intersection of innovation, strategy, and organizational development. And I was there for several years, um, worked with lots of clients, many Fortune 500 companies across all different industries, and really found my love of working with people and exploring organizational challenges there. Well, you will have no shortage of organizational challenges, I think, in any industry. So it sounds like you've really picked up on a really interesting field of study. So let's talk a little bit about conflict. I would imagine most people think about negative things when they think about conflict. So how do you frame it in a way that won't scare the average person away from it? Yeah, um, good question. And I do run into that sometimes. Um, So I, you know, in every company that I worked with um, over the, I've been doing this for over a decade now, Oftentimes we'd go in and maybe be teaching a team about effective communication, or we'd be leading a sales through sales team on how to be better negotiators. No matter the team or the topic that I went in to talk to them about, what would happen is they would start sharing issues that had been coming up and maybe it was resentment or issues they had been harboring since a reorganization from three years ago. And this happened over and over again. And so when I went off on my own and formed 180, which is my, my company now, um, I really found that there was an opportunity in this niche area of workplace conflict resolution and mediation. And when I started shopping the idea around, you're right, a lot of people, uh, their first reaction is, wow, that's incredibly specific. And their second reaction is, it must be difficult talking about or trying to get people to talk about conflict all day because it has the potential to scare people away or have this negative connotation. And And that is absolutely true. I think we are, we've been conditioned as professionals, um, I think certainly in the United States, to show up and be polite and be professional at work. And what that means is that we get really great at hiding our feelings and sugarcoating feedback or avoiding really tough conversations. And And so most people, when they hear the word conflict, they want to run and hide, right? There are some people who really enjoy conflict. Um, They they can have a disagreement, leave it unscathed, go back to work the next day and pick up acting as if nothing ever happened. Um, Those people are more rare. And most people really aren't thrilled um, with, with those types of situations, though. So much of my work actually begins with helping people understand that conflict doesn't have to be a scary word, a bad word. Um, and in order to do that, I have to do some, some educating or uh, creating a little bit of space in their minds to understand the difference between healthy and unhealthy conflict, as I call it. So I start, and much of my time is spent with teams and individuals identifying how one or the other or both, either unhealthy or healthy conflict, are really showing up for them in life, uh, whether that's work or personal, sometimes a combination of the two. Well, it sounds like not everybody is able to manage conflict on their own. So at some point, somebody gives you a call. And so when people want you to help them resolve a conflict, 
What are the kinds of things that they expect from you? Yeah, you know, um, when people reach out to me, they're they're usually at at some point in the process. It's sort of like a grieving process, right? You are there are different phases that people work through in conflict depending on their ability to process emotionally, to more rationally think through a situation. But oftentimes when people are coming to me, they just need someone else to hear their side of the story, really. Um, They may have talked to a manager, they may have vented to a colleague, or they may have even escalated an issue to an HR professional in their organization. Um, But if they're coming to me, it's likely because one or more of those resources is too close to the issue to help that person or group look at it objectively enough to start solving it. My 12-year-old stepdaughter says I help people talk to each other. So I sometimes think that that is what people are coming to me for, um, that they actually need help just relearning how to talk to each other. And uh, sometimes I say kind of clearing the emotional debris to help them really work through the issue at hand. And you know, going back to some of what I mentioned earlier about our workplaces and and uh, from a societal standpoint, how we are conditioned to show up at work, um, we actually have forgotten how to talk to each other as people and as human beings. We we show up and we have our our titles and our roles and the work that we do, um, and and at the same time, we're inundated with information about how to do our jobs, the next the next best thing in skills development. Um, but at the end of the day, and this has sort of been my mantra for the past several years, is we're just people trying to do good work and, and hopefully do that work alongside other people that we enjoy working with. So when people have an issue, sometimes they just want to be listened to. And that's a lot of what I actually do. Well, it's amazing that we have to bring somebody in to help people learn how to be good humans. But I guess that's a necessary thing. So now I don't know for certain, but I've heard that conflict can be healthy for organizations. It could be something that's useful. So in your experience, what does that actually look like in in practice? I mean, an organization that actually embraces conflict, I would think it would be like working at the DMV or something. What's it really like? (laughs) Yeah, maybe the DMV is actually a great example. I don't know. I would, I'd love to do work with the DMV. I'm not sure they might be a good case study. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting, right? I, I don't know that I think most people point to the big names like Google and Amazon and they say they they've figured something out, right? But one of my one of my favorite um, experts on the topic of psychological safety, which is sort of a you know a hot topic in the HR arena right now, is Dr. Amy Edmondson, and she. She says something, uh, I will, I can't recall the statistics off the top of my head, but the majority of people do not feel comfortable raising their hand at work and saying that something is, um, something's wrong, or they don't feel comfortable sharing an idea or going against the grain. Um, And so the idea of healthy conflict really requires uh, what she talks about as psychological safety. It requires an environment where trust exists and where uh, people feel comfortable saying something that might be viewed as different or unique or innovative uh, or just raising their hand and saying, hey, that those numbers don't match up. So to disagree productively, you need those things, but that's tough. It, it requires people to actually feel like they can disagree. Um, 
So are there companies out there who are doing it particularly well? Perhaps I think um, one of the foundational pieces is culture, right? If you have companies who have been incredibly intentional with the culture and the tone that they set for their employees, the likelihood of there being a greater amount of trust, uh, higher levels of collaboration between teams, especially uh, interdepartmental teams or cross-functional teams, um, and uh, me, I'm even going to say vulnerability from leaders. You have to have leaders who are who are saying, "Hey, we are going to put ourselves out there." in whatever way to acknowledge our own mistakes or talk about how we might be able to do things better for our employees. Those are the types of companies that I think really exhibit uh, exhibit degrees of high function, exhibit degrees of strong cultural norms, and likely the ones that are really exhibiting um, productive disagreement. Well, I guess in my experience in working with companies, that's fairly rare. But mind you, when I come in, and I guess you too, usually there's deeper problems. But it's a great yeah. goal. And so with that in mind, since I'm thinking majority of companies probably do not have that sort of a culture, what are some of the warning signs that bosses and HR professionals ought to start looking for to figure out if there really is some unhealthy conflict going on. Yeah, it's a great observation. You're right. It is, it's difficult to pinpoint whether that is the case or not. And sometimes even on the surface, surface, if things look like they are going well, there may be some um, concerns, issues that people are not voicing for whatever reasons, like we had just talked about, maybe they don't feel comfortable or maybe they've tried and they, uh, have given up. But I think some of the warning signs that leaders in HR professionals can look for um, to figure out whether unhealthy conflict exists are uh, resentment. And I know that's uh, that might be sound like a tough one, but do in practice, it might look like, are people bringing up issues from, let's say, three, six, longer than 12 months ago? Is there something that they have been holding on to that is continuing to inform their perspective on the workplace, their relationships with um, individuals that they work with, uh, that sort of stuff? Um, The other thing that I would point out or point to or look for is declining morale. Um, This is probably a little more evident on teams where you can see um, people maybe not being as engaged or excited about the work that they do um, as they used to be. Maybe it has been a change in leadership or any, any, any change in an organization. But if you can point to it and say, this team just doesn't seem as engaged or excited about the work as they used to, Um, what might be the cause of that or the deeper cause outside of that surface level change. Um, Disengagement, definitely. um, And that looks different for every individual. Um, For employees who have been at a company for a longer period of time, I would really encourage HR professionals to sit down with those individuals and ask them what has changed, what, um, how have their expectations changed, what um, what is continuing to keep them at that company and keep them motivated and really listen for what those people are sharing with you. If they're at a company to 
just stick it out until retirement or they're at a company or if they've been at a company for a certain amount of time, but then they're using that as a stepping stone for their next career, get really trying to engage and understand the honest answers um, behind what is motivating people and what they actually care about. And then the, you know, another difficult thing to assess is productivity. But oftentimes, productivity is it's such a buzzword and it's something that we always want from our people and teams and we know that there's a ton of research that shows that high functioning teams that have a great deal of trust and a great uh, great deal of psychological safety are actually the most productive but one of the things that I run into all the time in my work is that we have to have a shared understanding of what let's stick with the term productivity. What does productivity actually look like for our team, a specific team or department or the organization? And oftentimes conflict and tension are a direct result of miscommunication or a lack of, of shared understanding of what expectations are. So, um, I realize I'm kind of going on a little bit here, but but really any any one of these resentment, declining morale, disengagement, lost productivity, to me, those are um, some kind of big areas where certainly if you're hearing those words, um, those are warning signs. But if you but if you get the sense that something has changed in any of those areas, really trying to do some um, excavation of uh, to see what's actually going on. And then I would say the other two big words are trust and respect. If people are throwing those around and saying, well, I don't really trust this person to do the job, or I don't trust this new leader to bring our business to the next level, or I don't feel respected at work, um, those are, I would say, those are certainly some flags as well. Um, a couple other things that I think are are interesting to look for um, I, I kind of call them circular conversations. Some people use the term swirling or spiraling or, um, but if you're going back and you're, and you feel like certainly if you're an HR professional and part of your role is to continue to have conversations with individuals to check in and see how things are going. If, if you don't feel like there's any forward momentum and you keep having the conversation over and over again, or it feels like you're having the same conversation over and over again, it's likely a sign that something has not been resolved um, or that the true root cause of an issue has not actually been solved for. So I would encourage people to, again, kind of do some deeper digging and figure out what that true cause um, might be. And then finally, in mediation, we talk in terms of needs being met, um, sort of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? There are certain needs that should be met in the workplace chief among them are trust and respect. And I would underscore those as the really critical things that people need to be aware of and listening for, certainly HR professionals, because when those are met, it becomes much easier to have those productive disagreements that we talked about. And it certainly becomes easier to have honest conversations and honest dialogue about what needs to improve or, or what's working really well even. And now let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. How many hours of your day are wasted by managers calling with personal problems they really should be able to handle on their own? 
Why not give them a copy of the Essential HR Handbook? The newly revised and updated 10th anniversary edition of this bestseller is jam-packed with tools, checklists, sample forms, and timely tips to guide you through the maze of HR issues in today's complex business environment. So, buy a copy of the Essential HR Handbook for each of your managers today, and keep a copy on your own desk, too. And now, back to the show. You know, it's funny, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking that somebody that is not really paying attention and assumes that conflict in a workplace is only when people are verbally going at it would look at a quiet workplace and assume everything is great. But everything you just explained to me says that most of the time you're not going to really hear the conflict. You're going to have a lot of different symptoms. So. Those are some, yeah. yeah, some great things to look for because it would have fooled me. I, if I had nobody complaining yeah. or whining with each other, yeah. I'd assume everybody was happy. So, <laughs> wow, that's, that's useful. Well, n- now that you've helped us figure out what to look for, what are some things that maybe our listeners can do? Now, what I really want them to do is to realize they don't know what they're doing and I need to call Natalie at 180 and come in there. But <laughs> but what would be something that they might try first? Yeah, I mean, I you know, going back to my my 12-year-old daughter, uh, stepdaughter's best branding exercise ever when saying, you know, you help people talk to each other. You know, I'll, I'll extend that and say, again, people really just want to feel listened to. So I think the easiest thing, and it sounds so elementary, but it's so difficult to do sometimes because we are busy and we have our own issues that we are working through and we have our own workloads and we are we are all incredibly tied up in, a, in doing a million different things a day. But take the time to listen. And when I say listen, I mean truly actively listen, not on your phone or typing an email at the same time. But if you are a manager, um, take your direct reports to coffee and not just a formal coffee to check in. Take them to coffee and learn about them as a human being and figure out what's important to them. What do they care about? What are their values? What motivates them? Um, one of the one of the things I teach in our workshops and and what I talk about frequently is conflict sometimes arises from a mis, um, misalignment or miscommunication of values. And not to say that we all have to have and care about the same exact things, but if what I value is incredibly different than, say, the organization's values, well, certainly there's going to be a little bit of uh, a hiccup that happens when I'm trying to do my job or when it's time to review my performance. And that misalignment of values shows up in different ways for everyone. So so not that you have to sit down and do a values exercise, but, but just listen to what people care about, what they're motivated by, what needs they actually need to have met. Um, and... and see how you might be able to weave that into your working relationship with them or some of the team dynamics. It just seems like that would be something that if you did on a regular basis, then then some of the unhealthy pieces of conflict might just never show up. Now now people people learn how to talk to each other, right? I absolutely I couldn't agree more. And that's a lot of that is, you know, for me what success looks like at the end of uh, some of my client engagements is that they don't need me to help them have the conversation anymore. I know it sounds sort of maybe silly for me, but that is truly what at the end of the day what I'm hopeful for that people can start opening 
the the pathways to have more productive dialogue regardless of the topic whether it's something they're going to disagree on or just a regular conversation to stay in the loop about something um that they're doing it more regularly with greater frequency um and and a little with a little less effort or hesitation than maybe they would have done in the past well i have one more question for you because Assuming that we do everything right, and we've first of all identified the root causes, we've looked for value misalignment, we've brought everybody to a place where they can interact like good human beings, how do we know that the conflict is truly resolved? How do we know if the truce is going to hold? Is there is there anything that can help us determine, okay, we're done and we can move on? You know, I, I continue to be um, intrigued by what I'm going to call is like the field of metrics when it comes to employee engagement and uh, anything with, with organizational development, because it's very difficult to gather data around this. So what I think you can look for some of the things we've been talking about, right? Are people having more conversations? Is there an increase in collaboration across departments? Um, If it's an issue between two particular individuals, you may be in a better position to understand whether the the true cause of an issue has been resolved. And likely um, people who are coaches inside an organization or an HR professional professional or a manager are are going to have greater greater line of sight into whether something has actually been solved between two employees or not. Um, But from a wider team dynamic standpoint, or even organizational dynamic standpoint, I think it is looking for culture cues. Like, do employees feel like they can raise their hand? Are people speaking up in situations where perhaps they didn't before? Is the person who has historically been quiet in all of the meetings, slowly but surely finding their voice in those meetings. And those are those are tough things to kind of, I'm doing air quotes, measure. Um, <laughs> it requires a great deal of attention and um, it requires leaders and managers to be really vigilant and pay attention to the actual dynamics and what employees are doing and the things they are talking about. Um, so, so that's sort of a, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a tricky question to answer and it doesn't have a great concrete data driven answer. Hopefully, hopefully one day um, there is, or maybe there's a product out there that, that is able to measure uh, conflicts that have been resolved in organizations. I haven't found it yet though, but, um, but I think that is, that's part of it. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, you could think about any long-term relationships. I don't think you ever get to the point and say, well, we we will no longer argue. I mean, that's just not going to happen. And maybe the more you grow, then they go to a higher level. I guess in listening to you, I I was reminding myself of when I was in the Navy and they taught us how to fight fires. Mm -hmm. They always left us with you never turn your back to the fire. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that's maybe that's as good as it gets yeah. when it when it comes down to conflict. Yeah, and I I think too, you're right. It's it is are you having more productive disagreements where people don't leave feeling like they um like they've been burned by that fire or or like they don't want to show up the next day or need a 
a three week vacation just to recuperate from a, a conversation where maybe two people had two different ideas. So I think the more organizations can showcase what, and certainly leadership can showcase what productive, healthier disagreement looks like, I think it's a great starting point. And, and I'll go back to, to, again, one of my one of my favorite things to help people do is really set expectations and be on the same page about what productive disagreement looks like in their own organizations. Um, what do they want it to look like? What do they want it to feel like based on their culture and norms and vision and values, et cetera? Um, so I think that it's that is a great starting point, defining what what you want healthy conflict to look like. And then by virtue of doing that, kind of work on weeding out the unhealthy conflict from there. You know, as you're talking about productive and productive, uh, I was thinking back many times taking my kids to the doctor when they were little and the doctor would say, you know, are they having a productive cough? Have you ever heard that <laughs> yes. before? So, 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 so Natalie, what happens in a productive cough? What comes out? It's the, the bad stuff comes out, right? <laughs> That's right. It's all green and slimy and sometimes there's blood in it. Right. Right. But, but using that as, you know, kind of our analogy, that, that suggests the unhealthy stuff, right? And the long, I mean, if you were to leave that in your lungs, you'd get pneumonia, you could sure, die. Yeah. So so anyway, next time you are in a conflict, think about a productive cough, I love right? that. Yes. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Who would like some ice cream, <laughs> right? Doesn't that sound good right now? Well, Natalie, I have really enjoyed uh, hearing your your thoughts on conflict. It's something that I think we all have to deal with. And there's so many different perspectives. I've really enjoyed yours. And and I know my listeners will as well. So with that said, how can people find you? How can they reach out and say, Natalie, this is way beyond me. Can you help us? Yeah, um, I would love for people to reach out. I hope that what I have shared today has been... um, a, a little bit helpful. And I've really enjoyed um, my time with you, Mac. I really appreciate you allowing me to um, to speak to your listeners and to you. Um, if people are interested in working with 180, uh, the website does a great job of outlining sort of our philosophy on conflict. Um, website is 180, spelled out, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y dot I-O. And uh, there are, there's a lot of different work that we do. We do some workshops. We do everything from a lunch and learn workshop to full day workshops with teams. Some clients bring us in to do in-house mediation. Again, really working as a support and complement to human resources professionals where they may be too close to an issue. We work in smaller companies with business partners who are either trying to get ahead of a, um, an issue because they're a growing company and perhaps the business partner or executive level roles have changed um, in a way that might cause tension in the future. And certainly we work with teams who are already a po- at a point where an issue has escalated and they just need someone else to help have a more productive conversation around it. Um, a lot of that work is outlined on our website. And then my personal email is on the website um, as well, but I'll give it to you now. It's natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E, at 180.io. And I would love to hear from anyone who's interested. That's great. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us and give us some really useful and actionable information. Again, Natalie can be reached at 180.io. I hope you'll reach out to her, Natalie. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. 
Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast. You know, if you're listening to these as you are commuting to and from work, I would highly recommend you listen again when you get home just so you can take some notes. We do our best to get you great information, and sometimes if you're like me, you got to write the stuff down. On another note, for your further development, if you work for an organization and you think that it would be valuable to partner with us, which I think is a good idea, we invite you to check us out online at thebossbuilders.com. We have three options, our signature driving results on-site workshop, which our trainers come out and deliver for you. We also have our very popular Boss Builder Academy, which is video driven. And we also offer the option of having your organization license our training materials so that your trainers can go ahead and deliver them on site. If you're listening to our podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher, the other thing we'd appreciate is if you could just take a moment and leave us a brief, positive, of course, review. That would really help us out a great deal. And refer this podcast to anybody you know that you think could benefit from it. Until the next time we meet, get out there, boss up, boss on, and more importantly, make a commitment to being the boss at being a great boss. Goodbye.